you're listening to Short Takes on Suicide Prevention, where experts talk to each other about how research is shaping suicide prevention. This podcast is brought to you by the VA Rocky Mountain Myrec. And now on to today's conversation. Welcome to the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. I'm Dr. Suzanne McGarity, a clinical psychologist at VA's Rocky Mountain MIREC for suicide prevention. And I'm here today to interview Dr. Hal Wurzel about a recent paper on cannabis and PTSD. I'll start today by introducing Hal. Thank you for being here, Dr. Wurzel. Hal is a forensic neuropsychiatrist at the Denver VA's Rocky Mountain MIREC, where he serves as director of the VA Advanced Fellowship Program in Mental Illness and Psychiatry. And he's also the director of the Neuropsychiatric Consultation Services and co-director of VA Suicide Risk Management Consultation Program. He's also an associate professor of psychiatry, neurology, and physical medicine and rehabilitation at the University of Colorado. Welcome, Hal. Hi, thanks for having me. So today we'll be talking about your recent paper, The Long-Term Prospective Therapeutic Impact of Cannabis on Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Before we go into your study, what is it about cannabis that has scientists and researchers studying whether it might have a therapeutic impact on PTSD? We're certainly still learning a lot about uh, uh, cannabis and uh, how it affects the human brain. But it turns out that with, within our brains, there is a uh, what's called an endocannabinoid system, meaning that our, our brains and our nervous system have receptors and natural chemicals that are very much like some of the um, compounds that we find in cannabis, in particular things like THC and CBD, and that those uh, particular substances or or that system is active in parts of the brain that uh, play a vital role for sort of emotion regulation. So uh, something called the amygdala that plays an important role in generating emotions, as well as some of the more advanced parts of our brain that help us exercise a little conscious control over our, our more basal emotions. Thanks for that explanation, Hal. I remember reading in your article that there are actually two types of studies that are needed to determine if cannabis is an effective treatment for PTSD. So we have experimental studies and observational studies. Can you touch on the difference between these two studies and where your study fits into all of this? Sure. You know, so in science uh, and, and experimental studies in particular, right? You try to control everything that you can so that there's just one sort of uncontrolled variable, usually sort of the variable of, you know, of, of interest. And that's a, that's a real good way to, to learn about things. But, but oftentimes, the realities of life or the world don't allow us to control that many things, or it's not very generalizable into how things sort of work in the real world. So observational studies, as the name implies, we're not controlling much of anything. We're kind of observing things as they come, uh, which uh, has some limitations in that, right? There are a lot of variables that we have to uh, be mindful of when interpreting results. But at the end of the day, what you get from those kinds of studies uh, maybe tracks a little bit more into you know, how the real world works and, and, you know, and, and, and life happens. So it sounds like one goal was to really take a closer look at how cannabis is used for persons with PTSD in the real world, as you said. Um, what were some other things you were hoping to accomplish with this study? Yeah, well, so that's exactly a sort of real world cannabis uh, use. I mean, controlled studies are really important um, and those sorts of experimental designs. But in, in the world of cannabis, 
because marijuana and marijuana products are still technically federally illegal, to do those kinds of experimental studies, you have to use basically the marijuana product that's uh, been developed by the United States government for, you know, for that purpose, um, which of course is not the, uh, um, the product that the vast majority of Americans are utilizing you know, or purchasing in uh, dispensaries like here in Colorado. And so to, to understand the extent to which the, um, the stuff that people are actually using to, to help their PTSD, that kind of observational study that allows individuals to sort of pick and choose what they find helpful to mitigate their symptoms of PTSD was part of the goal here. So number one, to figure out if marijuana is helpful for PTSD symptoms, uh, if marijuana, uh, in, in the context of uh, helping PTSD, um, whether or not it, it changes how people live their lives, if they're more functional, if they're more active, um, as well as some other sort of associated domains, things like sleep, for example. And so that was the goal here, as well as to start to identify a little bit of information about what kinds of products people are gravitating towards uh, in, in terms of managing their PTSD symptoms. Wow, that's really interesting. So you were wanting to look at how individuals were using real-world products to manage symptoms and how that might impact their activity and their sleep. I'd really love to hear more about how you did this. So what did the actual research procedures look like? So we had uh, two groups for this investigation. Uh, one group consisted of 75 persons who, um, who had PTSD and were using marijuana products in an effort to help uh, you know, manage their PTSD symptoms. The other group uh, was another 75 individuals who also had PTSD, uh, but those were persons who did not use marijuana at all, and certainly not uh, as part of a uh, PTSD uh, management protocol or anything like that. And so we then uh, followed all those folks in a number of different ways over the course of a year. So uh, every three months in the course of that year, we check in with folks about their PTSD symptoms, about their sleep, and then also assessed some of their uh, functional activities and activity levels, you know, to get a sense of how things are improving or not in the context of marijuana use versus individuals who aren't using marijuana in the setting of PTSD. So just to summarize, you said you had a controlled group of veterans with PTSD who were non-cannabis users, and then a group of veterans um, who did use cannabis. Why is it important to include both of those types of groups in a study like this? Part of the question is um, there are a number of things out there to help people with PTSD, right? A, a lot of the stuff that we typically recommend at this point is what we call evidence-based treatments, right? So uh, psychotherapies for PTSD, uh, things uh, like prolonged exposure therapy or cognitive processing therapy that some folks may have heard of, as well as medications that um, have been studied for this purpose, right? Some of the medications that we often use for uh, depression and anxiety more generally are oftentimes helpful in the context of, of PTSD. Um, now, we don't have that kind of an evidence base for marijuana products, but at the same time, we know um, that, you know, at this point, there's probably, you know, thousands of people out there who have gravitated towards marijuana products because they feel that it helps with those symptoms, but we don't have sort of the evidence base to help guide clinicians who are uh, making recommendations one way or the other about, um, uh, is it a good idea to use marijuana for these things? So we need to start to develop that evidence base somewhere, and, and th I think this investigation um, 
uh, you know, it's a good start you know, among some of the other stuff out there uh, to start building that evidence base and, and to guide future investigations that uh, will tell us more about the uh, marijuana and, and to what extent it, it helps with PTSD. And so helping with PTSD, right. So you mentioned that you did look at changes in PTSD symptoms, but you also mentioned other types of functioning, um, such as sleep. Why is it important to be looking at all of these things in a study like this? Well, sure. And, and just, you mentioned veterans. We also had non-veterans in the study as well to, you know, sort of broadly capture the population more at large, but we certainly did have a lot of veterans in the study as well. And then looking at things like sleep and, and particular functional outcomes and activity levels, um, we felt was really important because, um, uh, I mean, symptoms matter, right? I mean, PTSD symptoms are, uh, are unpleasant and, and a source of suffering for lots of people. But, you know, at the end of the day, in addition to sort of alleviating symptoms, we want to see people, you know, getting back into life, um, you know, in, engaging work or other sort of activities that, um, uh, that are just important for our overall well-being and, and emotional health, right? So it's a good thing if people's, you know, hyperarousal or intrusive symptoms go down, but if that doesn't translate into sort of a, a happier and more productive lives, then that intervention uh, might leave something to be desired. So we, we try to sort of more broadly um, uh, assess not just symptoms, but how that translates into how people are living. Right. So not just about symptom reduction, but have lives improved, has functioning improved, and has it had a meaningful impact on veterans and non-veterans over time? Well, let's talk a little bit about what you did find. What were the results of your study? Well, so um, among persons using marijuana for PTSD, uh, relative to the, the group that was not using marijuana, we saw uh, those folks using uh, marijuana products get a little bit better uh, more quickly, and they were about two and a half times more likely uh, over the course of the study year to um, no longer meet criteria for PTSD than those folks who were not using marijuana products. That was a finding that appears to be predominantly driven by what we call the hyperarousal symptoms of, of PTSD, right? So startle response kind of symptoms, the, you know, someone drops a pan and you, and you sort of jump out of your seat, uh, looking over your back or, 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 you know, or what we call hypervigilance. Uh, those sorts of symptoms appear to be most responsive to marijuana, at least in this investigation. Well, that's promising. Were these findings consistent with what you expected, or were there any findings that were surprising to you? I think from what we know about people's experience with marijuana, that it was helpful in terms of hyperarousal, I, I think wasn't unexpected. I say that, though, sort of with the caveat that I wasn't sure what we were going to find, right? I went into this investigation genuinely curious about whether or not marijuana does make a difference, and, and, and if so, how. So I think it uh, to the extent that it did make a difference, it made it, it seemed to be effective in, in ways that we would sort of anticipate. Um, what was sort of surprising in that context, meaning that we, we had these sort of benefits in terms of hyperarousal symptoms, but for whatever reason, that did not translate into um, maybe the improvement that we thought we would see with sleep, right? So, I mean, I, I know clinically I encounter folks all the time who use marijuana products or say they use marijuana products because it, it helps them sleep. And we didn't see that uh, as a benefit in, in our investigation. 
And going back to what we were talking about before, we had some measures about activity and, and, and functional outcomes, and those didn't seem to really track with the, with the changes either. So while we did see, you know, essentially what comes down to self-reported improvement in, uh, in hyperarousal symptoms in particular, there wasn't a lot of change beyond that that we were able to observe in relation to function, sleep, or, or activity. And one follow-up question, since you mentioned, you know, how you were measuring different things, how did you account for the different types and amounts of cannabis used in the study? Yeah, so we ha- had folks essentially complete a diary that sort of uh, went back a few months to capture what they were using, how they used it, and how much they used. I mean, so that's one of the challenges with, with marijuana products nowadays, right? Because uh, there are so many products and there's so many routes out there, right? So folks are smoking and vaping and uh, there's edibles and there's tinctures and there's bombs and, you know, all different routes of administration. And then the route of administration aside, there's also just a ton of different products out there that have different uh, relative contributions from the components that, that, that make up marijuana. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you know, have heard of THC and CBD, and, and those are just some of the ones that we've studied the most, but it, it turns out there, that there's a lot more compounds that go into marijuana that are potentially, uh, you know, playing a role here. So our study was not large enough to sort of analyze the different products in terms of outcomes, but it was the case that more or less consistent with sort of the literature or, or previous investigations on the subject. It seems that folks in our study also gravitated towards products that had a lot of THC. Right. So I I think that's a good segue into some discussion about limitations of the study. So it is hard to account for such wide variability in the products used, you know, particularly here that are available in Colorado, maybe versus other states. Were there any other limitations that you encountered in the study? Yeah. So, you know, again, this was an observational study. So we take folks as as they came and um, you know, and, and some of these folks were, were doing other things to intervene with PTSD, right? So taking medications, they might have been uh, participating in psychotherapy trials. So potentially going on in the background across these two groups that can account for the, uh, the signals that we saw, including their participation in the study itself. And in that context, everybody knew whether they were a marijuana user or were not a marijuana user. And so that potentially has uh, implications too, right? I mean, in particular with marijuana, there's a lot of folks who are uh, real interested in seeing this evidence base be developed so that it can be sort of officially listed, so that PTSD can be officially part of the, the various conditions that are supported, you know, in terms of marijuana medical programs. And so you know, folks enlisting in the study, you know, are potentially aware of, of that issue as well. So it sounds like you really did put a lot of thought into all the different factors, you know, contributing to the findings. Knowing all of this, what do you think subsequent real-world studies like this should, should take away from your study that we've been talking about today? Yeah, I mean, so you know, like I said before, marijuana research certainly doesn't start with this study. Other folks have been doing you know, work along these lines as, as well. Um, but we, we are talking about a body of research that really is in its infancy, and we're, I would say we're, we're still pretty much in the ground floor, right? So we are just starting, I think, to maybe generate some signals that supports that <laughs> what, kind of what we already know, right? Lots of folks are using marijuana and they experience it as being helpful for their PTSD. And I think a study like this helps sort of concretely, you know, in a scientific fashion, sort of uh, uh, you know, document and demonstrate that signal, as well as that these folks um, uh, 
were doing okay, right? They were using this product safely without adverse effects, which hopefully then sort of opens the door for more in the way of um, uh, the experimental designs and other things to dive deeper into some of these issues and the outstanding questions as to to what extent does marijuana really help with these symptoms? How does it do so? And what in particular about marijuana is helpful? Because uh, as I was saying before, right, there's, there's an awful lot of compounds that go into marijuana, a lot of different ways people use it. So there was still a ton of work to figure out what are the optimal compounds? What are the potentially more detrimental aspects to marijuana that we could potentially eliminate in the future? What's the right amount? What's the optimal dosing? Is THC versus CBD better for these kinds of things? So there's still an awful lot to, to figure out about if marijuana is useful for PTSD, if so, how, and, and how do we do that optimally in a way that um, you know minimizes some of the, uh, like any medicine used to treat something, uh, there are potential down, downsides and side effects, and, and that's true of marijuana too. So how do we minimize those uh, along the way? Well, thank you, Hal. I, I think that's actually a great summary of, of the key takeaways uh, for this observational study and is really serving as a starting point for, for taking a closer look at how individuals are using marijuana cannabis products to help not just with symptom uh, alleviation, but also how does that translate into the impact on their day-to-day -day life. I want to thank you for being here today. Uh, this was a really interesting study and I enjoyed our discussion today. Thanks. That's it for this episode. You can find more short takes on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show and give us a review. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at rmyrec. We'll see you then. Take care. Short Takes on Suicide Prevention is an informational podcast and not a substitute for mental health care. If you are having an emergency, call 911 or reach out to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. And for veterans or service members, press 1. This podcast does not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Veterans Affairs or the United States government.